Hello everyone and welcome to the That's a Rap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, uh, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. I'm your host, Joe Downey. And I'm your co-host, Matt Parkinson. Uh, the date of recording today is the 20th and the time of recording is 3.44 in the afternoon. And um, yeah, I'm really rusty today. <laughs> it's been, I, we always keep saying it's been a while, I've realised. Yeah, when, <laughs> when did we last record? What was our last one? Uh, it was um, True Crime, wasn't it? Yeah. We did, it was back in... July. We, we did released iPod, the yeah. episode uh, the seventh, yeah, on the seventh. No, the thirtieth of July. Thirtieth of July. Yeah. So it's been a I good believe. three weeks since yeah. we last. That's all right. That's... Yeah. I mean, we're st- like still falling into some technical difficulties with the Wi-Fi here. The other yeah. white is just rubbish for that. Um, yeah. Also, just like as we've mentioned, obviously, off, like off camera, watching films, I've I've slacked a bit, mm. <laughs> which is fine. Like you don't. You shouldn't force yourself to watch films. It's meant to be an enjoyment, yeah. not a chore. I, I, it's just, I mean, I, I don't know how it is for you, but watching films on a, a laptop is just a very weird experience. I mean, I've been to the cinema re- late, lately. I've been three times, but, like, even then, like, just, I don't know. Catching films on, on a laptop has just been rubbish. At I, I try not to use a laptop because it's kind of awkward because you've got the keyboard there and everything. So I either yeah. watch on an iPad or I've got a TV in my room now, which is nice. Oh, nice. So I can nice. actually watch DVDs. Uh, Sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before we uh, get into the topic of the day, uh, just like to say, remember to follow our Instagram at TAW Podcast. It's TAW Podcast. If you ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open over there. You can also check out our Facebook page if you type up That's Rap Podcast or TAW Podcast and make sure to give us a like and a share because it really helps out the show. We are available on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Overcast, and Apple Music. So make sure to give us a follow on those platforms and leave a review where available, <laughs> as it really helps out the show. Uh, <laughs> you read them out so quickly. <laughs> and, guys, if you'd like to keep up to date with the latest films that we are watching, both in and outside of the podcast, which helps at the moment because we slack. Um, so, I don't know, if you ever want a sneak peek uh, of our announcements... Check it out at uh, Joe Film User and Clappy B, both on uh, Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. If you like, would to blah, blah, blah. if you would like to sponsor the podcast, message us at our Facebook page or email me at joedowney two eight zero at gmail dot com. Bam. Are you I okay, Buster Rhymes? You have a lot of I'm energy. Eminem. I am all the fast rappers. Have... <laughs> How do you do that? How do you have that much? <laughs> it's called um, killing your throat and no. Bad breath control. Killing the throat. <laughs> what? Uh, if you if you try rapping fast for a solid hour, it's it, for me. I realised it it really kills your throat. Is that something um, you've done recently? Yeah, I've That's just been cool. doing some practicing whilst being at home, um, which is awkward because I do have not a neighbour, but I have a tenant next to me, so I'm like I can never know if I'm being loud or not. But anyway, um, but yeah, um, what? Who, who are we talking about today, Matty P? I'm sorry. <laughs> Who are we talking about today? What the, uh, we are talking about the famous director David Lynch. David we'll Lynch. Be, I was so yeah. I, I legit expected you to say that in Luca's voice. Uh, nah. We should have really got him on this episode. If you're listening, Luca, uh, shout out to you, you legend. We'll get you, you on. Thank you for listening, Luca. And if you're we'll not get you listening, on the next then. episode where we talk about like you know more David Lynch. We'll get you on the part two <laughs> of the David Lynch episode, Luca. Well, what has he done? He's done like ten films, hasn't he? Yeah. And we're doing three today. Yeah. So I suppose he's done short films as well, hasn't he? Which uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah. We'll we'll find something for, for us to talk about, Luca. 
But um, but yeah, we're yeah. doing three different uh, David Lynch films today, kind of not really randomly selected. There was some right. method to it, I think, wasn't there? I think um, we went for one that sort of everyone knew, one that's mm. maybe a bit lesser known, and one that's... And one that doesn't like, really fit his n- bill, I'd say. One that's what? The one that doesn't really fit, like... Yeah, because you wanted one that was, like, kind of nice for the end. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because his films are sometimes hard to watch. Oh, very. (laughs) There's a a couple of films he's done that are actually kind of Mm. easier to watch. And, uh, yeah, we aim to review one of those in this episode. (laughs) And in in general, he's known for very surreal stories and films Mm. and characters. Um, You know, like, they're kind of hard to analyse, really. Um, I don't know if we want to give him a little preliminary warning or anything like that, but yeah, yeah, these are not concrete uh, interpretations because you know you can interpret it any way you want with these films. Uh, I think he'd say that himself. You know, there's always that meme of like, "Can you further elaborate on a race ahead?" And he's like, "No." <laughs> well, that's the thing because he's he is one of those directors, isn't he? That is really just stubborn about mm. not revealing. Some directors who make Slightly surreal films. It's like Kubrick, I think, once revealed the meaning of 2001 A Space Odyssey someone. But right. David Lynch hasn't done that with any of his films yet. He's very... Right. Very stubborn with his mm. mystery. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a kooky guy. Um, he's interesting. Should we get into our first film of the day? Yeah. Or is there any anything we want to say beforehand? Or? Uh... Not particularly. Did you want to do like some small talk or? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, what what you've been watching? Lately? What have you been you, watching? You've you've been carrying the brunt of film watching. I've from, watched uh, out of the two of us. I will very quickly list off what I've seen Boom. since watching our three films that we'll review today. Mm-hmm. So, Apollo Eleven, mm-hmm. It's Such a Beautiful Day, The Old Man and the Sea, Amadeus, Beauty and the Beast, the old one, Ponyo, Dune. Knives Out, The Game, Wildlife, Walk the Line, Awakenings, and In the Name of the Father. That's just me reading my letterboxed there. Damn, that's that's quite a the gamut of films. That's a lot. Yeah, I tried what, to what's, do What's one. been a highlight? Uh, Amadeus was really good watching that. You've seen it before, right? No, 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 no. First time watching it. Okay. I've heard a lot about it, and it's been on my watch list for ages because I couldn't find it anywhere. And then finally, I got the DVD for it last Christmas, and it's great. It's It's amazing. I thought um, you'd seen it before, given how badly you wanted me to watch nope. it in film society. <laughs> no, nope, it's been like, a I'll long way. I'll force you guys to watch this three-hour film. <laughs> <laughs> Another high point, uh, the documentary Apollo 11 is really mm. great. I would urge anyone to go check that out. It's on Netflix. It's quite short. It's like 90 minutes. It's nice. really a really great documentary. Awesome. Have Sweet. you seen it? Uh, no, but I know about it. It's like archival footage, right? Yeah, it, the whole yeah. film is basically just archive footage, and yeah, Sorry. I won't go into it too much because that's for a different episode. But <laughs> awesome. it's I can't recommend it enough. It's really great. Nice, um, yeah. I I've had a big gap in mine, but did go to the cinema yesterday. Or yesterday I uh, saw Baby Teeth, which is an indie Australian film. wasn't a big fan, but I you know see it for yourself. See what you guys think. Uh, <laughs> did did I mention American Pickle last episode? No. No, you didn't, because it's yeah, been. Went, yeah. Yeah. I went to see that, which was like an interesting <laughs> experience, given that it's an H- HBO original, yet is in UK cinemas for some reason. Mm. 
Um, it's a sweet film. It's like there's nothing to run home about. Um, but you know, give that a watch. I'd say if you are going to cinemas, ladies and gentlemen, please be safe. I know Tenet is coming up, so that's going to be like the most packed one, I think. So I'd say if you are booking for Tenet, probably book the earlier hours. I know mm. at Odeon it's playing it's essentially every hour. Yeah. Um, but I mean, here in, in on the island, it's playing at the Commodore for three, four pounds. Or it's playing in Cineworld. So if Cineworld is packed, go to the Commodore or something like that. Just, you know, make sure there's not a lot of people in there. Or yeah. if there is, you know, stay seated at a good distance. Well, um, I think cinemas are doing a rule now where they do block a certain number yeah, of seats. Because yeah. I recently checked, I was going to see it at... Well, me, Ruben and Owen were planning on seeing it at Cineworld. But then we thought, no. <laughs> no. Just because, well, just because we didn't really want to risk it and... Uh, Owen and Ruben wanted to see it with their parents instead, and I kind of want to see it okay. with my dad at yeah. some point. Not, like, soon, because we're being very cautious as a family, right. but I'd, we will see it at some I'd, point. I'd say check the bookings, though, just in case, because I think they like they those bookings might go. Or they won't. I don't know how... Yeah, I mean, for the... People, how desperate people are. For, for the them. very early screenings, yeah, and around, like, 26th of August and stuff, but it might be showing a little bit after that as well around right, September definitely. I don't know I'm not mm. I, if I do miss it I won't be heartbroken that's fair I, I'll, I'll catch it at some point <laughs> that's fair enough I think my worry at the moment is spoilers but then again we're not America or any other country that's getting it late so. yeah I mean that yeah that's a big problem spoilers because there's been so much mystery around it so yeah. it's it's a hard one yeah, fun fun fact uh, Travis Scott has made a song for it I don't know if it's going to be in the film or or you know, just a promotional thing, but <laughs> it, just, it was a headline I did not expect because it was just, yeah, Travis Scott and Christopher Nolan, I just didn't expect that pairing, but, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. Nice. It very much, like, it felt like um, when, I don't know if you remember this, but in Django Unchained, where Rick Ross song starts playing out of nowhere, it's like doesn't fit with the time frame. Oh, vaguely. It's been... Over a year since I saw Django okay. Unchained. It's... There's, this, there's a moment in Django Unchained where like a trap song by Rick Ross plays. It's just yeah. Anyway, you, anyway. you know it when you see it. It's like hundred black. Copies, Wait, have you heard so, yeah. the song then? Has it been? No, it comes out tomorrow. Oh, so cool. Okay. I'll give that a listen actually. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, David Lynch. David Lynch. Yes. <laughs> Tangents. So, yeah, we're the king of that. That will be yeah. a separate show. Um, so. Pulling up the Google synopsis for our first film of the day, Wild at Heart, it says, After breaking parole for a self-defensive manslaughter, Sailor Ripley and his girlfriend Lula head down the highway to California while discovering hidden secrets about one another. What are we thinking about that synopsis? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's uh... Yeah, I think it's a decent synopsis for the film. I don't like in general with a lot of these. I don't know how you can come up with a synopsis for these films. <laughs> so some people do some things. Blah. Yeah, just a lot of crazy stuff. <sighs> but yeah, um, you're gonna like this first note of mine, Matt. Um, when typing up Wild at Heart on Netflix, guess what popped up first? Go on. Power Rangers Wild Force. <laughs> I'm sure they're both of a similar level of quality. So for listeners, uh, Matt, with all his heart, loves Power Rangers. He has no <laughs> disdain for it. He loved it growing up. He gets the artistry. Joe, this is false news. <laughs> How dare you? 
No, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I jokingly try to annoy you sometimes by saying I hate Power Rangers, even though I'd never really watched it as a kid. I've seen clips from it. I don't like what I've seen. You just don't I, understand art. I, <laughs> clearly. Me and Lomax will fight you on that. I guess this is our final episode. <laughs> Wild, Wild Force <laughs> is the best Power Rangers. Okay. Um, but yeah, serious notes now. Uh, what, so what are your first impressions of, of Wild at Heart? I, I really didn't like it. Um, I, I, no, I wasn't a big fan of this film at all. I, I watched it. I went uh, going into this film. I thought, I okay, I don't really know about this film. It's David Lynch. It's when I whenever I look at lists of like David Lynch films ranked from worst to mm. best, this one never really shows up as like, God, it's horrible. You know, this is as bad as Dune, or all you right. know, it's never it. It's it's always was kind of those under the radar films for me i'd never really knew much about it so i didn't really know what to expect going in mm. and yeah i i really wasn't a big fan of the film i i don't think it's very good uh <laughs> that's fair, fair enough. uh just it's sorry again i'm i said this to you earlier off camera i might be a bit inarticulate on this podcast <laughs> because honestly it's the perfect episode for it's, that it's we, been a we, yeah let's just be stream of consciousness it's been about fitting a week and a half slash two weeks <laughs> since I've seen these films. I've seen many other You still remember your disdain since, for it, though. <laughs> uh, I've, I've written some notes about it. So the first note I have here on Wild at Heart is that my main general issue is that the film as a whole doesn't really have a compelling, good point of view protagonist. Okay. I think in the sense that throughout the film, even if you disagree with what characters are doing or if you don't particularly like what they're what what they're doing you you can still you should be able to somewhat identify with a character right. in a film but i didn't get that with any of the mm. characters in this one i think nick cage's character in this is kind of an obnoxious caricature of right. i don't even know what and <laughs> laura dern's character is i didn't like her either she's just completely hysterical in the film and her two objectives in the film to either seem to be to have sex with nicolas cage or to cry and yeah, I just thought she was badly written. sex scenes in this film. Oh, I'll, I'm I'll get prudish, to that. But... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember <laughs> like having like I was like, oh, I should really should be wearing headphones or something because it was just <laughs> vi- like verging on softcore porn. Mm. And it, I don't know, it f- kind of fit a surreal stereotype in or art house stereotype in that you know every female character's got the top off for no reason in this film. Mm. <laughs> it's just like why. It's Why? Just, What's yeah. the point? But yeah, I just I couldn't really sit with any of the characters in this film. I didn't really identify with any of them. I hated all of them. They didn't entertain me. I thought the performances <laughs> were like over the top, and but it's, just, I mean, I guess it's meant not, to be though, right? I guess so, but it just irritated me a little bit. I think I, you know. I have no doubt that David Lynch wanted to make this film and he got it the way he wanted to, but I don't think... I still don't think it was very good. Um, right, right. I don't know, just some of the dialogue as well. I think one uh, yeah, of the I was, things... I was going to ask you about the dialogue. Yeah, so I, one I of... I that it's very awkward. So like just... an all-encompassing note I would have on this film, because I, I told you this, I think, straight after I watched it, you I logged it on my letterbox and you popped up with a message straight away saying, two stars, <laughs> go on, explain. <laughs> and... One of the things I said to kind of summarise it was that it's a bit like an 80s porno. Right. In that, not that I've seen any of those, uh, (laughs) but, you know, it's sort of like the, 
the thing of like bad acting, sort of really cheesy dialogue, right. kind of campy direction. Just it felt very lowbrow and low budget mm. the whole film, you know. Right. And yeah, going back to the the sex scenes that you mentioned earlier, the first half of the film is just back to back sex scenes, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot, and there doesn't need to be that many. It it brought up a like interesting de- like debate uh subject for me when watching mm. it because I remember uh, back at the old house Ruben made a point that no film he basically it's, I'm paraphrasing it no film narratively needs a sex scene and I, I I was very much at the time like no there's some films that need like the sex scenes are deserved within the film because of how they advance but like this is very much the case of like these were not needed this is like this is it fits that argument of like sex scenes and films that are unnecessary, basically. I think I get what he's saying. I can get behind that in the sense that yes, you there is a point in some films of showing that two characters have had sex. Like you can show the beginning just before they're about to have sex, cut to black, and then oh, they've mm. had sex, and that might fit into the story somehow. But I think in terms of a full fledged nude sex scene, I would kind of agree with Ruben in that you don't really need it it's just for need with a capital like, n i think yeah. it's shock shock value or anything like that it's shock value and it's like what you said of like art films of like how mm. look isn't this deep we're showing a naked woman said the male director <laughs> yeah <laughs> just type up on youtube david lynch on david lynch on why he loves women it's a very weird video did you see that i sent you that no uh, i can't remember what what Wait. was it what was the I think, wait, I think it's called, wait, it's it's just basically a video of David Lynch talking about why he loves women, but I can't actually think of what the title was. I'm actually trying to find it now. Oh no, where's it gone? Um, no, I can't find it now. Oh, that's annoying. Wait, this is definitely important. <laughs> Is it, Basically, is it really the, ir- the irony, the irony being is that in this video he talks about like, why women are the best, and then in th- like two out of three of these films, that they're, they're just naked throughout the entire thing, mm. and not necessarily in an empowering way or anything like that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it sounds nitpicky, but I don't know. It's just, just ironic. Um, where is I mean, this is annoying me now? Da- I think maybe it's David Lynch's Ode to Women. I don't just find it on. YouTube, but anyway, what but was his? Yeah. Uh, what was the sort of summary of it? What are, What are his? Thoughts. It's just like they're the purest in the world, and they're they're what makes humanity great, and all this stuff. And then it's just literally when you watch that video, and then watch Wild at Heart, it's like okay, sure. Like that's, that's a very like, nice sentiment, but yeah, Wild at yeah. Heart doesn't communicate <laughs> doesn't that sentiment, sentiment very well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just there are a lot of things that I didn't really like about this film. Yeah, I've mentioned the performances. I thought were over the top. I thought. Yeah, the dialogue was really cheesy, and a lot of time it was really forced. Like, Laura Dern has meant... I know it's a spoiler, so I won't say what it is, but Laura Dern has this sort of tragic backstory mm. that's mentioned throughout the film. Right. And the way it unravels at the beginning is really forced. I think right. Nicolas Cage is like, oh, tell me about the time when you were little. And she's like, <laughs> oh, you mean that time where blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Insert oh, exposition. Okay. <laughs> you could have had you know, smoother dialogue if you'd made time for it rather than having all these sex scenes in the film. Right. And that's that's yeah. the thing I was going to ask with the dialogue because two out of three of these films that he wrote mm. 
it's the idea of like, is it bad directing or bad writing? Um, mm. because the actors are great, but like there are moments where like it's just really awkward and there was maybe one not I mentioned specifically. I think wasn't there? Did I? I messaged you recently saying that. Oh, I can't remember now. I don't know. But, but in just in what, general, in, with this film yeah. in particular, like, you know, the bit where she's like, Mama always told me that he liked women with breasts that stood up and said hello. I and think... Like, I think most it's actors, both. that's going to be hard to deliver. I think <laughs> in the case of Wild at Heart, it's both badly written and badly directed. And I think there's another example I want to draw upon mm. in justifying this. Right. So at the beginning, there's... Uh, a series of flashbacks, I think, because there's a, a weird relationship between Nicolas Cage's character and right. Laura Dern's mum's character. Diane Ladd. Diane Ladd, yeah. yes. Yeah. And it's hinted that there's, like, a thing between them. And mm. the way the flashbacks happen in the film is really quite forced, it's, it's I think. Honest, oh, yeah, everything in this film is just very, like, cutaway and jump cutty. It's very in your like face. Two it's, seconds. Yeah, it's like <laughs> and then the, back again. it's like the film doesn't have respect for the audience because, like the, on a technical level as well, the use of sound in this film I think is really glaring and really obvious. Like there's a scene where a character is yelling at another character, and there's this very loud echo, and it's clearly ramped up in in post. Mm. I think, and it's like you didn't need to do that. And then when it has flashback scenes, there's like this whoosh sound right. that I remember, and it's just very. <laughs> It's like it's hitting you in the face saying, this is a flashback. It's not right. happening in real time. This is a flashback. It's like, I know. I can yeah. guess that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the only guess I can see is that, or have even, is that the, like a lot of the film is meant to be fantastical because there's a lot of Wizard of Oz references. There's a symbolism. few. Yeah, there's even f- that was obnoxious. Like <laughs> even I don't think it worked because the Wizard of Oz references. There's a few throughout the film, and then the ending is mm. like they have this again. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a Wizard of Oz esque scene that goes on, and I just think it didn't fit with the film. Right. It just. What was the point? You know. And like this is based on a book, so I guess maybe mm. it makes more sense there. But I don't know. I just thought a lot of the symbolism was obnoxious and whatnot i yeah. i remember you said you you thought you were worried that your experience was like kind of taint mine yeah no because i was very hostile towards this film after watching it and you watched it a few days after me and yeah. i was like i don't want my opinion to inform yours <laughs> i don't you know? i don't think it necessarily tainted it it just yeah. made it more clear to me because i this is yeah. my second time watching this excuse me sorry and the first time i watched it i think it was my first david lynch film ever and I really like Nicolas Cage and whenever he's wacky. So I was just like, yeah, I'm mm. all up for the wacky ride. I just saw it as a very <laughs> wacky, campy film. Yeah. But then, like, honestly, like, I was just fed up with it when watching it on a, on a second viewing. Yeah. Um, For similar reasons, honestly. Um, and, yeah, it was just, like like I was mentioning earlier, there's just random cutaways for two seconds. There's almost Family Guy-esque cutaways. <laughs> And it didn't really matter. There's like a quick scene with Crispin Glover, and it's like oh, yeah. not needed at all. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what was the point of that? And I, I think guess I, you yeah. misinterpret it, but you know, it was just yeah. on a story level. I think <laughs> I get what it was trying to do. Like it was trying to show this sort of young couple, you know, being defiant against mm. their 
older oppressive parents, you know, saying, you can't tell us what to do, we're going to go out in the world and do what we want. The sort of, yeah, free spirit kind of story. But in order for that to work, you need to make your characters likeable, you know? Right. And the whole romance between Nick Cage and Laura Dern is meant to be seen as, like, sort of nice and heartwarming at some points, but it just doesn't feel like that. Right. It just feels really grotesque, and that's largely because of the numerous sex scenes in the film. And just... You know, they they just behave like porn characters in the film. You know, there's no chemistry yeah. there. It just... Yeah, I can see that. It feels forced. And another thing I didn't like about this is the use of music in the film. Oh, okay. What, what, what the score, The score or just the soundtrack? The use like... of, like, the heavy rock guitar in, like, action scenes I oh, thought okay. was really bad. Like, at the very, very beginning. Do you remember with Nick Cage and that other yeah, yeah, yeah. guy? And there's, like, this very harsh... Mm rock guitar it's, playing well, it's, it, yeah it's like str- jump straight into it at the beginning it's yeah yeah what did you what did you scene. think of it it's... uh i honestly it's not as fresh with me but the only yeah. thing i do remember is not the soundtrack but the score i think it's the same guy that does most of his films i just remember it being mm. very rumbly yeah um which i, I guess i kind of liked but um i don't know there was an odd moment and again i know it's meant to be surreal and quirky and all that so fine whatever but um, when they go to a metal gig and then Nick Cage like, makes the band sing, like, uh, not Love Me Tender, but something to that Yeah, tempo. something like that. Uh, and I get it, it's meant to be quirky and surreal and whatnot, but it was just, I don't know, it wasn't plausible for me. I, I just, just like... again, like, so you're saying it's meant to be surreal and, you know, I'm sure David Lynch had that in mind somewhat when making this film, but I just feel like... If it's surreal, it should be thought-provoking to a certain okay. degree, don't you think? Yeah, like it's... yeah, I guess the the devil's advocate to that though is that like it, it doesn't have to be because it's like I, I suppose not, but it just absurd. Like I, I was when I uh, first watched this film and we were talking about it um, ages ago. Uh, I I was talking about Lynch's other films and how yeah they're also quite surreal and quite weird, but it works. Because in other films like Blue Velvet, at least there's a sense of like mystery and right. intrigue about it. It actually makes you think, "Oh, what's going on? This is a bit different." Whereas in this, and just it just felt narrative beats, <laughs> huh? And a lot of his films still follow normal narrative beats. They do, yeah. Blue Blue Velvet does. Uh, Wild at Heart, kind I'm of. I'm sure does. you can with Wild at Heart, but like at the center of it, it does it. You know, it, it doesn't just really felt go. obnoxious. It, pl- it plods really. along a bit. Yeah, it's very long. <laughs> but <laughs> it's both, like, yeah, l- 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 I, same thing with a film later on. I think mm. the the length could be shortened, but um, yeah, yeah. Honestly, um, don't know. I don't have a lot of notes for this one. I found out it was booed at Cannes, but you know, every film was <laughs> like it was booed they, at Cannes or big booed. Oh, booed. Okay, right. Um, they they boo good films so like i never really take any caution but like, it also won that. the palm door i think yeah Didn't it? but yeah. like you know like uh inglorious bastards was booed um what other films mm. there are other films have been booed at Cannes, so i never really I take that, that as a as a warning of quality or anything like that because they just just a bit snobby aren't they when um, i went <laughs> yeah when i went to the venice festival last year kind of the opposite was true okay like, e- even if a film was not very good like when we saw the laundromat it still mm. got a round of applause and i didn't okay. i don't think i heard anyone booing it but it's 
It's just, it's just the idea of booing at a f- film is just stupid because it, you know, it won't make the film go away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not gonna talk back. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, but um, yeah, it won the Palm Door. I remember you being mm. very confused by that. Or was it Diane Ladd getting nominated? Yeah, Diane Ladd got an Oscar nomination for this film, and I I didn't think she was it's, that good. It's the most over the top performance, the and I I'd, get that yeah. it's meant to be, but mm-mm. I don't know. It, it doesn't fit. You could I easily think... play the surrealism excuse for a lot of this film. Because <laughs> we're we're going to talk about this, I think, with uh, the next mm. film of David Lynch, because there's a whole thing about what you think about performances in his films, and I think. Right. Sometimes, yes, they are over the top, but... It, oh, your camera went for a second. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm here. I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, over-the-top performances work in a certain tone with the film, right. I think. If the right. film has a sort of emotionally removed tone, then sometimes slightly wooden mm. or performances can work. But in this, it, it just doesn't, because it's clearly trying to be some kind of emotional story, I think, but it just doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. I completely forgot Willem Dafoe's in this. He is in this, yeah. Um, what do you think I, of him? I, I, I just went on the IMDb trivia to see what I can find, and apparently it says, Willem Dafoe is actually urinating in the toilet in one scene where he goes to take a pee. Great um, trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, wait. So it says, Willem Dafoe is actually urinating in the toilet when he goes to visit Laura Dern and asks to piss in your head. Apparently, Dafoe had drunk a lot of bottled water and really needed to go, only later to find out that the toilet was not a working one and some poor crew member had to clean it. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I feel bad for whatever PA was on that set. Mm. Um... Honestly, Willem Dafoe, like, his character was very dodge, but I would have watched a film with his character. Yeah, I remember you saying you wanted, like, other... a spin-off film with, with his character. Not even a, but just, like, the way they built up his character and introduced him, like, mm. even though it was very late in the film, it was like, oh, here's Willem Dafoe now. Here's some scene-chewing, like... Yeah, it's, it's another thing. He's the only character that didn't annoy me in the film, okay. but that's only because he scared me. <laughs> yeah, he was very slimy. You very, know, very he's slimy. he's just creepy throughout, yeah. and he's the only one who actually seems like he's putting actual effort yeah. <laughs> into acting in this film. It's like Nicolas Cage just looks like he's having a bit of fun. Uh, Laura Dern, he's I'm not Nick sure. Cage in it. I don't I'm know, not like... sure what Laura Dern is doing because she's we've seen her give better performances in better films. Right. But and Willem Dafoe's David actually Lynch trying ones as well. Sorry, and in other David Lynch ones. So yeah, yeah, I don't. When did they first work together? Would it have been this? Or... Uh, well, Blue Velvet was before Wild oh, okay, Heart, then. so that's... There, there that. we go. Was that yeah. the... Yeah, because she wasn't in Dune, she wasn't in Elephant Man. I don't know about Twin Peaks, because... Twin Peaks was 90s, so... Yeah, but, like, after. you know, Karma McLaughlin was in... Oh, was it after? Well, uh, Twin Peaks began in the 90s, and this film, Wild at Heart, came out in 1990. So. Oh, okay. All right. It's, I was just thinking she might, she might have appeared in some episodes, but I don't know. Listeners, I, no, I think she did, but it was that, after Wild at Heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Um, I'm just going through my notes, see yeah. what else I had. I'm going completely off notes today, because it's, it's, it's just not in my head. I've said that. Honestly, like... I don't know, yeah. it's, it seems like of a mix of a David Lynch film and a Nick Cage film. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it, I mean, you know it, I mean? It, on paper, it seems like a match made in heaven, yeah. doesn't it? The most yeah. bizarre director out there and the most wild card actor exactly, in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's a gamble. And in this case, <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised yeah. they haven't done more films together, actually. That's no, yeah, this is quite the only odd. one. Yeah. I remember at one point during the film, I really shouldn't have done this, but I was just not getting on with the film. Mm. There was an actor that popped up and I was like, is this Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? And I like (laughs) proper scrolled through IMDb to try and find it. Yeah. And try and find this guy and find the actor's name. Just wasn't happening. And in the end I found out it's the... Have you seen The Happening? Yes. You know the guy that's obsessed with hot dogs? Yes. Yeah, he's in this film. Yeah. You know when they're in... um, it's It's the area where Willem Dafoe first arrives. There's like some thugs and whatnot, and one guy's really skinny, and he just looked yeah, like yeah. Uncle Rico. But no, it's the hot dog guy from the happening. <laughs> what an interesting factoid! Yeah, I do yeah. this a lot as well, though. When I watch films, I think is is that is that who I think it is? <laughs> I th- then... That's a that's a plus with Amazon Prime is that the IMDb cast pops up whenever you're watching yeah. the film, which it's seems like... like a distracting element, but like it it's really. I mean, sometimes it spoils moments. So I remember I was watching a film. And there's a moment where it's meant to surprise you that Bradley Cooper's wearing a mask and takes off his mask and it's Bradley Cooper. Mm. And I paused it before that moment and it was like, unmasked guy, Bradley Cooper. And I was like, what? And then press play. <laughs> and then like now it's like Bradley Cooper's character. If I, like, yeah. yeah. If I can go on a tangent, because I had a moment like that recently. I watched um, In the Name of the Father recently. I was mm. reading it off my letterbox earlier. And one of, one of the characters in it, I recognised the actor and I was like, is that is that the guy from Speed Racer? And I googled him afterwards, and it was what the main guy. No, 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 not the, not the main guy. Daniel Day Lewis isn't in Speed Racer. No, no, no. One I of the, the smaller main, the, actors. The, oh, I yeah, thought yeah, you yeah. meant Emil Hirsch from. No, no, no. Oh, okay. One Fair of enough. the smaller actors in in the name of the father was in Speed Racer, a film I haven't seen for like ten years, oh and it was God. at the back of my mind. I don't know. It's just is a little Kieran, tangent. Is Kieran Hines in in the name of the father, the Irish guy? Uh, Kieran Hines is spelt like I'm not pro- sure. Probably not pronounced Kieran. Never mind. Uh, um, Johnson from Peep Show is in it. All right. Oh, As yeah. a pa- Jamaican Patterson guy. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. He's also in um the new Noughts and Crosses series. Oh. Fun fact. Um. Anyway, sorry. What we needed to say with this film really <laughs> like. Yeah, I, it seems I was like just looking really hating notes. on it, but like, I don't know. It's just a. Uh, it was bad on a number of levels. I think story wise, it was meant to be compelling, but just wasn't because the characters are unlikable. The actors' performances were over the top, even for the standards of Nick Cage. I feel uh, now. On a technical level, I didn't like it either. I thought the use of, use of music and sound design was really glaring and obvious. And yeah, the so use go of, watch it, folks. The use of sex scenes was really <laughs> gratuitous, especially in the first half. Right. Yeah. But again, we try to be nice on this podcast, so yeah. You know, go go, go see watch it you if you want to form your own opinion. Because uh, people it. seem to like it. It's yeah. I went on Letterboxd and it seems to have quite a few like four star reviews, four and a half star. People like it. <laughs> and if you're a complete, is it completionist, completist, completist? Yeah, you know, for for Lynch especially, you know, mm. go go do that. Um, it's definitely a good Nick Cage film, like in his whole well, catalogue. I don't like, know. like in comparison to others, which well, I isn't mean, a tall mm, order. But I, I'm, I'm not sure. Watch Mandy, I and then I haven't watch seen many. Of... I thought you liked Mandy. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm saying like if you want oh. good crazy Nick Cage, and then yeah, 
like in terms of his more surreal yeah, yeah, films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd you know still definitely watch it. Like I really liked it first watch. It's just mm. when did you last see it? When was your first? Honestly, viewing? like it would have been a year or two years ago, probably. Probably two years ago now. Actually, now that I think about it, it mm. was when um, <laughs> I actually watched it in preparation for another podcast. So, uh, your movie sucks, and Adam from my everything and Ralph Seppi have a podcast called Sardonicast, and mm. they were talking I think about I've heard it of that there. one. Yeah, it's good. Um, in in moments, the only problem with their show is they fully spoil films, so you have to catch up immensely with the films that that they talk about. Um, but yeah, no, I watched it in preparation for that, and um, yeah. yeah, I just remember, I, rem- I I remember liking the wackiness of it, and it was interesting with the Alice in Wonderland themes, but then on rewatch, it's really obnoxious. You mean Wizard of Oz? Wizard of themes, Oz, I mean. Yeah. Um, Do you know who else spoils films, sorry? Who? Siskel and Ebert. I was watching some of their oh, yeah. old reviews. They spoiled the heck out of some films. I watched The oh, Game. No recently and well now we've got to hope that we don't do it because it's kind of hard not to with lynch we try not to yeah i think if, if you're listening at the moment guys like don't worry about major plot moments you know basically think of it as like an old apple you can still eat it <laughs> like we that's how we're gonna treat it um our podcast is an old apple <laughs> it's not a rotten apple it's a it's an old chant shit now but I mean, any closing thoughts of Wild at, Wild at Heart? Um, obviously, catch it on Netflix. But yeah, any any what's what's a good roundup for that, Matt? I I, I kind of gave my closing thoughts on it. That <laughs> it's okay. uh, I really didn't like it on a number of levels. I can see what it was trying to do, but I don't think it accomplished it. It's not the worst Lynch film I've seen. Okay. Uh, just about <laughs> right. Okay. I've seen one that's worse. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well let's go. Let's go on a <laughs> more positive note, and that is to <coughs> Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Oh, uh, the big old got... elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And the Google synopsis for this one says: Rita, a dark-haired amnesiac, and Betty, a perky blonde actress. I don't know why it says perky. That's weird. Um, perky blonde actress team up to find clues related to Rita's accident and ascertain her true. Ascertain? A S certain. Assertion her true identity. Assertion. Assertion her true identity. Or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a vague synopsis because this film is very hard to follow. I would, I would say that synopsis <laughs> describes maybe like a quarter of the film. Yeah. This, <laughs> this film like, goes this places, is definitely, man. This, isn't, this is still an, uh, an accessible David Lynch film. Like, it's not like the nether regions, like, you know, no. in an empire, but like, this is still out there it's sort of upper middle i think in yeah. terms of comprehension <laughs> yeah like uh it's, it's interesting think, yeah yeah i think if i mean i don't know how true this is because i haven't seen inland empire yet but like the like public consensus seems that like at the at one end of the, uh, the spectrum of it like being super accessible anyone can watch it is the straight story and then you know elephant, elephant man, man and then on the far far left or right like the full end of the nether region dark world like bizarro world flips up cool upside world. down cool world craziness <laughs> thanos snapped it is uh inland empire um and then Mulholland drive is probably in the middle uh, like no Ma- no Mulholland higher drive than is the middle i think higher than the middle the middle is probably blue velvet yeah i i yeah. agree with that <clears throat> um, voice crack I agree with that. Why do I get crack. voice cracks? I'm 21. Honestly, ev- 
any time I'm recording, it's the worst. Oh, um, dear. But yeah, um, like like we said, the Google synopsis covers like barely a fraction of mm. the film. But uh, how would you describe your experience with Mulholland Drive? Not not the plot, I, I guess. I I really like this film. Um, okay. I really did. I think it's. Um, so first, like a lot of people have talked about this film and have come up with mm. very different interpretations of it. I'm gonna take a little crack at it, give my two cents, okay. and see what people think. I don't know if Do it's tread right or not. <laughs> it's yeah, I'll tread lightly. I'll I'll try and be vague, but also coherent, <laughs> much like this film. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Bam. But uh it's one of those things, uh David Lynch hasn't revealed what the meaning of this film is, really. Right. Yeah. Uh, so any interpretation is kind of welcome, I guess. Sure. Yeah. You know, no one's going to debunk it exactly. But yeah. I think the most common thing with this film that he was trying to achieve, even in a vague sense, is that he wanted it to feel like a dream, the film. Mm, he wanted it to... It fits. <laughs> yeah, and I think he did a really good job at doing that, making it feel like a dream. And I think this is one of my favourite films of his, because mm, it's a really, this is one of my notes I've got, that it's a really great balance of surreal to- storytelling and a coherent narrative, I think. Because that's kind of, first of all, that's kind of what dreams are like. You know, yeah. they're kind of, you understand them while you're in them, but then when you think about them later you on... You try and like, explain <laughs> them later on, you're like, yeah. Exactly, yeah, that's why I had to make notes of this, because I have no hope explaining it. <laughs> but like, it, there's this really throughout the film you can just about kind of follow what's going on and it does throw some wild things into the mix some very unconventional Mm. things that characters do and the way it's paced and how it cuts between different story threads but you do generally get an idea of the story that's progressing and the themes it's dealing with and the sort of character arcs and i think for that it's a really really good balance of uh surrealist storytelling and conventional Right. coherent narrative storytelling that was yeah yeah that's in a general sense i yeah that's how i'd describe the journey of this film <laughs> uh yeah. i think yeah lots of technical elements are really done well like the production design and the editing are really good to make it feel unsettling like whether well, there's a scene with a phone call to like this uh what's that uh dwarf actor called who's he was in uh Twin Peaks and he was also yeah, in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. He plays I like don't know the sort his of name, but yeah. He plays like the sort of behind the curtain film producer yeah. and in Mulholland yeah. Drive he's in this room which is like really awkward and bare looking yeah, and it's, it's really great because it's very surreal but you do it does evoke a feeling of what you're meant to yeah. think of this character and I think it's really creative yeah. and clever production design and yeah like I said the editing is really good it's very sort of slow and methodical and right. well thought out and what did you think of the runtime for this film sorry what did you think of the runtime for this film was it a uh, good length or it's it's tricky because with some films that i've seen with some easier to understand films <laughs> easier to dissect films it is easy to say oh it could have been shorter some scenes right could have been cut it's like wild at heart you know if you cut half the sex scenes mm-hmm. you'd have six left but then right. no. <laughs> uh, but with this film it, it's hard to say what can be cut because yeah. it is so sort of fluid yeah and, and like, it's, oh it's... how do you cut this scene without what yeah. it's it mm, if it was cut i don't know <laughs> it's it's a weird it's a one because one, cause it, it's long it's two and a half hours yeah, long i felt i felt the length and... on this because it's the second time i watched it but i've definitely felt the length of this mm. one um 
there are some scenes, and this links back to what we're saying with Wild at Heart and dialogue and the directing. Some scenes are either unintentionally or intentionally comedic. <laughs> in in and it's very hard to figure out which is what. For instance, yeah. it's basically my whole debate of like when there's really awkward dialogue or like an awkward like performance of a scene. It's like, is that the writing or is that the directing? I don't know. It's just like very off handed like the stuff that's off handed, like uh there's a there's someone uh uh, Naomi Watts' landlord who's just like oh yeah we used to have a neighbour that had uh, kangaroos and it shat everywhere and it's like it's delivered in this really serious scene with like really like harmonious music and it's just <laughs> off it's just there and you're like what? And I think you, so it, yeah. <laughs> the awkwardness is like it's hard to tell whether or not it's the writing or the performance because it just <laughs> I guess both but um, I, think... I don't know it's, yeah well, my, my take on it was that I think the film does have a very good tonal focus throughout okay. it. it. It does... It never feels awkward in a way that it shouldn't, I think. Like the, like you said, the, the moments of dialogue, like the kangaroo shitting, mm. uh, I can't remember that scene off the top of my head. Um, but Which is crazy. to th- That shows how weird this film can be <laughs> if you forget a kangaroo yeah. shitting scene. I mean, yeah. But it's like, I think it was meant to be funny but mm. in the sort of way that also makes you question, should I be laughing at this point? It's like kind of yeah, how definitely. like the Coen brothers do humour in the yeah. sense of like they'll insert a funny moment and you'll laugh and you think, oh, should I have laughed? Mm, definitely. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think it works for this film because, um, yeah, again, it contributes to the dreamlike state of this one. And going back to what you said about the runtime mm-hmm. of it, I think a good litmus test for... Uh, run times of films is if you feel bored throughout watching and I didn't feel bored while okay. watching this one I felt intrigued I, I think it's partly because I had to maintain a lot of focus throughout this mm. film not just to try and like build my own interpretation of it brick by brick but also because I knew I was gonna have to talk about it on the podcast right. so I thought I need to have yeah. something to say I can't just watch this passively I need to that makes me think feel about... really badly prepped <laughs> but no no I, that I'm wasn't like, sorry oh, I didn't I don't get it. <laughs> I didn't mean that as a no, no, comment on you. <laughs> fucking with you. Um. Uh, but yeah, just to go into some specific scenes, because I said earlier that I think um, it balances the sort of dreamlike storytelling really well, the sort of coherence of it and the sort of surrealism of it. I think one example of that is um, the scene that takes place in the diner, because there are a few diner scenes, I think, aren't there? There's... Like which two? which one's this? Is it... In Mulholland Drive. No, no, but like, what's <laughs> what's the um? Because I, I thought you were leading up to the club, the club Silencio scene. What, I'll what get diner? to that. I will get okay. to that. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that part. Yes. What, di- what diner scene? So like, there's who, who the first the diner scene that happens, which is with a character who we don't really see again. Okay. Isn't oh there? yes. No, yeah, I got you. You know, know what I mean. I, yeah, I know where we are. And you yeah. think, oh, okay. I don't really. <laughs> that is underst- an eerie scene. <laughs> I don't really understand what that scene is. And then there's another diner scene, which kind of feels a little bit similar, and it it works in the sense like a dream works in that. Well, that he's talking about a dr- how a dream in that first yeah, scene. In the sense that you can't really 
verbally express what the connection is between these two scenes, but you do feel it. You feel somewhat. like you've seen it before because yeah, you, they, you have, get a sort but... of deja vu about it, like yeah. you you do in dreams. I think that's what Lynch, to some extent, was it's, trying to it's achieve. Such an eerie scene, the first one. It's great. Like, I love it. That that <laughs> actor it, um appears in oh, what's it called? We didn't like it. The Andrew Garfield one, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. And I think his character in that film was very similar to this one. And I, I honestly think he was just cast as a homage to David Lynch because there's a mm. lot of the homages to him and other filmmakers in that film. Well, Under um, the Silver Lake is kind of like a Lynch film, isn't it? Yeah. A yeah. little bit. I'd... I honestly, I want to rewatch it because it would... I feel like I should one, as well because I was in a bad mood when I watched that film and I left that, a like, regardless bitter taste what you in my think mouth. Of, regardless of what you think of Under the Silver Lake, it has one of the best like fake band songs, in my opinion. If you type up, I can't remember. <laughs> if you type up on YouTube, Turning Like Teeth, Under the Silver Lake, I really love that song. Anyway... Because we Side finished tangent. watching it at like 1am in the morning. Yeah. And I, was like, I just, I can't, I don't have the energy to like this film. <laughs> but yeah, like, but, like I was saying, like that character does talk about a dream within that film, uh, mm. within within the film. And it's, it's very fitting with the film as a whole because it's very much like a dream. And you know, mm. it's, it's, yeah, I I'm lost my train of thought of how to express it. But um, yeah, you know, it's just very... You know, a lot of surrealism is very like mind's eye, like dream shit, and <laughs> yeah, and I think that scene kind of like perfectly encompasses it, um, and just a lot of the themes in the film as a whole. It's it's interesting. So in terms of the themes that it deals with, I think it's kind of partly it's kind of a comment on Hollywood in a way, isn't Definitely, it? I think yeah. so. It, the film I wrote here, it's kind of about the moral decline of the characters as they go deeper and deeper into a sort of perverse story that you know that that's sort of lying behind the curtain because Naomi Watts's character at the beginning is sort mm. of very idealistic and uh, optimistic about going to Hollywood and then as the film progresses and goes further and further and further it becomes darker and darker and darker and she realizes that you know and she becomes you, more twisted when you peel well. back the layers it just reveals more and more darkness it's kind of like I, I wrote here, I compared it to like Sunset Boulevard and the player sort of showing the darker side of Hollywood, the sort of unsettling underbelly that no one really right. talks about, the sort of satire on sort of Hollywood idealism and how it's well, d- Definitely false. with the producers earlier, with, with what you're saying with the guy from Twin Peaks, is mm. they, it's a bit of a cliche way to describe it, but like those scenes and those meeting scenes felt like watching like the Illuminati or something. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's and felt. that's, yeah, like, because the big room he's sitting in is such yeah. this, this eerie, ill-fitting it's room. It's very culty. And, it's yeah. very cold. There's like a single chair in the middle of the room and nothing else. And there's some weird colours. And it just, it perfectly describes that character without telling you who he is or what he does. You just know. And that's like, that's good production design and good directing, I think. Yeah. That's that's very it's, good. It's, it's odd because there's still moments within... So it's, um, especially with the producers meeting scene where mm. at one moment you're like this is really eerie really intense like what are these producers going to do and say and then the next minute you're like just finding it hilarious because one, one of them's really shocked that they didn't get them the right espresso yeah and he's like yeah. qu- his hands are like quivering and whatnot and I was like laughing <laughs> and I'm like I'm not meant to be laughing right now but I guess but that's another that's, example yeah. I think of how it's like a dream in the sense that this isn't something that would happen in real life but you sort of get the idea of the mood of the mm. scene and how the character the sort of the character dynamics in the scene you know you understand 
where everyone in that scene sits in the hierarchy, even though they're all behaving like, like children, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, it's very well done. I think, you know, you know, in a dream where I don't know if you've had this before, but you know, in a dream, how you start off as yourself and you're just kind of like the main protagonist. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just like every now and then just change character, but you're still you. Yes. Do this you know, is one uh, of the things oh, that happens. Dear. No, yes. In but the film. I, yeah, I realise how that's fitting, yeah. But yeah. like... And I think that's... Yeah. I think that's... <laughs> that producer scene speaks to that because there's this constant, like, repeated motif of this is the girl, this is the girl, and that girl keeps changing and, like, yeah. who that's meant to be. It's very fluid, yeah. And honestly, like, at first, like, whenever talking about anything surreal- surrealist or whatnot, it seems cliche and cheesy to describe it as like a dream. But honestly, the more you think about it with this film, it's like the perfect description for it because, you know, it's not coherent, it's fluid, it's messy, but yet still works and is still poignant and still eerie. And and it it's works like a dream as well because even though the film is very surreal and incoherent, everyone in the film behaves like it's as normal. It, yeah. You know, as, there's, yeah, there's no like exactly. straight man. There's no... They're like, oh yeah. There's no one Perfectly to normal. react to it. Everyone is yeah. kind of okay with what's going on, you know? Yeah, like, honestly, uh, like, if I was told a kangaroo was shitting everywhere, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the structure of this film, the first half, I think, was a lot more linear and easy to follow than the second half. Mm. The second half is a lot more surreal and starts going into more scenes that you have to sort of peel back to find the subtext, I think. Whereas... It's a YouTube analysis film. Yeah, it's a YouTube (laughs) analysis film. Uh, Like, the first hour, you can basically... It has some very odd moments, but you can basically follow what's going on, I think. But in the second half, and the second half is introduced with, like you said, the club silencio scene. Can we talk about that? Sorry. We quickly finish your point, but... No, that was my point. I I know you want to talk about it. Go on. (laughs) This is not exaggerating or anything, but... The club silencio scene is fucking beautiful, and mm. it was so like on when re- rewatching this is that was the scene I was waiting for this entire time because it's just fucking like you get chills, and I, I, I don't even necessarily know how you get chills because the thing that happens in it is set up like it's very op- so I'm gonna like tiptoe around it but basically they go into a club where everything is mimed or lips like lips lip synced. And yet, when it happens in a certain scene, it's very moving <laughs> and very shocking, even though you're told what's going to happen. And I don't know why. I, I, I think after this, I'm just going to rewatch that scene. <laughs> and there's been another scene like that in Blue Velvet, but it's not yeah. to this dramatic degree, and it's just so fucking poignant. Yeah, and I don't know what I don't know how to explain. I just want to gush over it, basically. I, I it's had just a perfect some scene. thoughts about what that scene meant. Right. Um, I don't know if you got any kind of. I mean, what? what Honestly, was your... I was just unprofessionally gushing about it. But like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Like my my interpretation of it, without spoiling too much right. about mm-hmm. it, that scene. So it kind of kicks off the second half of the film, where things get a lot more mm. dreamlike and surreal and harder to follow, and. It happens, that scene happens right after the characters do something bad, basically. Right. They find out something bad, which I won't, won't reveal for people who want to go see it, but it's kind of the thing that's being built up in the first half, and then it comes to its crescendo, 
and the characters realise that, oh, we're in the deep end now. So for me, I thought that that Club Silencio scene was the characters being in hell, okay. I think. So I think... I was, I was going to quickly mention, uh, they go out to this club at like 3am in the morning. Yeah. And it's very every... like... Because I think it happens... And nocturnal yeah. And, yeah. It's kind of... It happens at a point where you think these characters are so deep into this mm. corruption, uh, corrupt sort of and they know. messed up story. This is when they know. And they know. Right, yeah. And they're sort yeah. of... They are now completely morally adrift. So to me, the Club Silencio scene was them sort of descending into hell almost yeah. or some kind yeah. of metaphor of hell. And like the... The way it's designed as well, like it's all red and yeah, it's all yeah. very sinister and the way Dingy. they look in this thing is very... Oh, and they're both wearing... I can't fully go into it, but they're both wearing a certain type of wig. Yeah. Uh, well, one of them's wearing a wig similar to the other one, but like... Oh, the lighting in that scene as well. It's oh good, yeah. God. It's it's one and of those... I don't know how... It's like, so good. <laughs> I don't know how basic I'm being because I haven't read any analysis right. of the film or like watched any videos analysing it. So I don't know if my interpretations are like sort of commonplace. I'm or, sure Luke is screaming at us. Or <laughs> completely wrong. This is just what I thought of the film. Yeah, I thought the Club Silencio scene was them in hell. Uh, right. It's when it kicks off the sort of the next events in the film. And there's a scene with a blue box, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to go... We, we can't. We can't. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Well, they know, they'll know when watching it that there's a blue box, but there's some stuff that happens with that blue box. I, I won't reveal we can, yeah. what happens. Um, yes. Uh, quickly I just want to mention this again because it's funny I remember when I first watched this I messaged Luca I was like I just watched Mulholland Drive I don't get it he immediately called me (laughs) and then I broke it down I was like oh yes but like honestly like if this is your first time dipping into this like type of film or David Lynch films like don't worry like you don't necessarily have to get it like even second time watching it i messaged like i don't get it but i like it a lot <laughs> like you just well, it's, it's those... a good mood mood piece experience you can just like watch and let it happen yeah it's one film. of those where i you know probably don't objectively get it all the right. way through but throughout the entire film i was able to construct my own meaning for mm-hmm. it there wasn't a point where i was like bloody hell i'm just <laughs> i give up i right. was able to kind of make my own little analysis of it like what it meant even in the second half when it just goes bonkers i was like okay i can kind of i can you're along you're strapped in yeah i can i can guess what this maybe means kind of a bit (laughs) but we'll never know because david lynch won't reveal it but uh right yeah so i'm just reading some more notes i have on like interpretations of of the second half can i give you a non-deep note sure just to juxtapose that billy ray cyrus (laughs) His appearance in the film made me laugh, just because he was in it. Not because like any comment of him and as as an actor, just because like it's Hannah Montana's dad, and he's in this weird art film. The only other film outside of Hannah Montana that I remember him acting in is uh, it's a Jackie Chan Disney film. It's like The Spy Next Door or something. Oh, the Spy Next Door. I've and seen he's that. like he's his mate. Anyway, oh. um, that again fits with like weird comedic moments where you're like not sure whether or not you laugh. There's just an action I, sequence with Billy Ray Cyrus. I feel like that wasn't meant for comedy because I, I don't think everyone would see Billy Ray Cyrus being in a film as funny. Right. I don't know because yeah. like some people 
older than us will think, oh, I don't really care. Some people younger than us will think, what's Hannah Montana? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Justin Thoreau is another actor in this. Yeah, He's... I've got a quick note of trivia that I found just now due to Justin Thoreau, uh, because yeah. of Justin Thoreau. So he's playing a character called Adam Kasher, and there's a moment where he smashes a producer's uh, car windshield with a, with a golf club. Mm-hmm. Apparently this is a reference to a 1994 incident where, where, uh, in which Jack Nicholson did this in real life. Oh, And damn. apparently Jack Nicholson's nickname is Mulholland Man. <laughs> so maybe that character's based off of Jack Nicholson. Interesting. Yeah, well, so, that's, yeah. I like that. I, uh, I really like Justin Thoreau in this. He's in it very briefly, but I just... He's in know, it for quite a bit, I think, for do, a do lot of the first half, I would okay. say. Well, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, no, he does reappear. But, yeah. like, yeah. I, I think I his storyline and Naomi Watts' storyline in the first half, because it kind of cuts back and forth between those mm. two storylines. Excuse me, I burped. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, on the podcast. It kind of reinforces that theme of sort of the corrupt side of Hollywood because, you know, yeah. he plays the producer who's trying to do things. Oh, wait, things. no, he's a director. Or sorry. Di- director, sorry. Yeah. He's trying to do things his own way, but big Hollywood won't let him. And then, mm. so yeah, that's more of an exploration of that theme. But also, a uh, little side note of Justin mm-hmm. Throne in this film. For the whole runtime of the film, I thought he was Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> I, I thought they, it was... They don't look that... Similar. I thought they'd do. Google really? Johnny Knoxville. No, I know and... what Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> I thought it was. Fair I enough, thought that's I who it was. Like, that would be really surreal. <laughs> I, I, how old is David Lynch now? He's oh, he's old. like seventies, I think. I still want him to direct another film because he directed the Return of Twin Peaks, mm. which I still need to see. But um, Justin Throw and Johnny Knoxville are the same age as well. Oh, okay. That's probably And they were where... kind of similar. I really don't think they do. <laughs> Agree to disagree. Tell us uh, in the comments what you think, if they yeah. look similar. <laughs> Listeners yeah. out there. Hit, hit us up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, I really thought it was him. <laughs> fu- actually, funny enough, I, I thought the other lead actress was Monica Bellucci. Oh, yeah. But it's not, and I've forgotten her name, sadly. Let me... Sorry, give me a second. See, I don't um, think they look that similar. They got the dark hair, but I... Yeah. Uh, what is her name? Laura Eleanor Herring. Wow, her name in real life is very long. Laura Eleanor Count Countess von Bish- Bismarck Schonhausen, commonly known as Laura Herring. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Oh, she was... Okay, interesting. In 1985, Harren became the first Hispanic woman crowned Miss USA. Uh, she later began her acting career in television and film. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen her before, um, but oh. she's in The King. Oh, The 2005 King. Um, and some other films. The Punisher. Uh, anyway... Don't anyway, um, just, yeah, I thought she was Monica Bellucci. So we've we've both had <laughs> misinterpretation. There's there's another thing. Um, there's a sex scene in this film. Oh yeah, I think there's just the one this time. Yeah. So it's not as gratuitous as Wild it at Heart. It just makes us sound like prudes, but like honestly, like the Wild at Heart <laughs> ones are unnecessary. And they like, are unnecessary. You know, uh, you know, I've I feel seen like some Lars von Trier, Gaspar Noé films, and yeah. yet for some reason they fit on those ones. <laughs> I feel like the sex scene in Mulholland Drive worked on a narrative level. It didn't maybe have to be as graphic and revealing, right. I, but I, I, guess, I, I think yeah. it did work as because um, it's sort of again, it's in the second half of the film when the characters, the two 
main characters Naomi Watts and not Laura. Monica Bellucci. Yeah. <laughs> Laura Harron. Laura Harron are sort of realised that they've gone too deep now and they mm. can't really tell the outside world about this. So all they have is each other, yeah, essentially. Yeah. So I guess that's why it works I think, yeah, in my eyes. Let's put the Ruben gauge on, on sex scenes in films. Like if it's progressing the narrative and it seems necessary, mm. then it's, you know, an apt scene. But I don't know. Yeah, it, it's I, definitely I, more fitting in Mulholland Drive than Wild at Heart. Yeah, because um, what, what I interpret yeah. what Ruben said is that I think I mean, I'll message him afterwards to see yeah, if no, I was like, right. But we'll uh, get him on the show I think what he meant was that the sort of imagery of a sex scene is unnecessary. Right. Like the level of nudity and yeah, the yeah. graphicness of it. I think the presence of a sex scene or the implied presence of a mm. sex scene can be all right, can, can work right. on a narrative level. It can progress things. It can, you know, because you don't have to show everything with a sex scene. Right. You can have a, a PG one and it can still progress the narrative of a film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- yeah. There was another thing we mentioned about the uh, characters changing names, which we don't won't go in too oh, much. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really yeah. It's, this one's a, the probably the hardest one out of all of them to talk yeah. about. But you know that's just showing that you've got to see this and get your I, own interpretations I, I of it. I won't mention it, but um, in a general sense, I think that's another example of how because you you mentioned this earlier about how in dreams you you change perspectives yeah. in dreams yeah. and characters can change and it doesn't feel jarring while you're no. in the dream but when you Which wake up you really think it's really hard to pull off in a film yeah it's, it's a tall order sure and like, it does and it is kind of jarring in the film but it's right. kind of to the extent where you've already seen so much weird stuff happen yeah. to this point you're kind of like okay the first time I'm i watched it it was very jarring and i was like what's going on but second time yeah and i think one of the reasons it's not so jarring is that like i said before the characters kind of treat it as normal like there's nothing right. in the film in the the writing or the direction that suggests that it's weird that they've right. changed names it's it's played very normally do you know what i mean mm, it's definitely yeah yeah um, what other notes did I? I think that's all the notes I have that I can say without spoiling this film. I mean, it definitely lends itself to repeat viewing. Yes, like you just get different. I may watch it a second time. time soon. Um, you can catch this on Amazon to rent for how much was it? I got it on DVD. Oh, okay. Oh, I rent. <laughs> I should have checked my statement. Two pound or three pounds, something like that. It's definitely worth it. Most films on Amazon are like three forty nine to rent. Yeah, so it's like, and I yeah. tried watching this on Bob and then gave up. So. <laughs> I yeah, um, Bob is. We can we can go in. I'll go into that further with our next film. But um, yes, but yeah, yeah I'd, so, I would yeah, highly let's recommend round up Mulholland Drive. Um, um, do you want to go first? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, it's it's a good step into his wackiest, like wackier side. Obviously, he's wacky in general, but like the dark, eerie, comedic. David Lynch stuff. This is like a good step in the water, and then I guess a raise ahead afterwards. Mm. And yeah, um, great acting, a lot of great imagery. The Club Silencio scene, even if I'm overhyping it, you could watch that. It's so good. Um, don't watch it out of context. It just won't hit as much. Um, yeah, great imagery, great soundtrack. I'm pretty sure it's the same composer as all of his films. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I mean I had some issues with the runtime first, like when I watched it, and some of the 
they still had that same debate of like you know the the acting versus uh the writing versus the directing but mm. you know it's definitely up for interpretation and see for yourself how those scenes play for you um and if you know if you agree or disagree i don't know um yeah um no, I'm hitting. I'm hitting a brain fart here. I, 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 I could give my little summary. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, yeah, mostly what you said. I think it's from the Lynch films I've seen. I, I'd say it's one of my favourites. Mm. Um, I think it strikes a very, very good balance between surreal storytelling and uh, coherent narrative storytelling. I've said this like three times now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely achieves the dreamlike feel that I think Lynch was going for in a very good way. Um, also, it's very thematically and tonally consistent with keeping with that theme of sort of the dark underbelly of Hollywood. Mm. It attaches to that theme very, very well. The second half is very creative in the way it tells its story, I think, and the way it subverts normal storytelling standards. Mm. Uh, like you said, the performances are really good. I think on a technical level, the, en- the editing was really good. The uh, music... I liked uh, production design. I really, really liked. Um, yeah, I just was a lot tier, going to this film. Lynch film, really. <laughs> it's it's very good. I yeah. I really liked it. Um, yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, available on Amazon. Prime. I wish I could talk about it more because I have spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll wait for everyone in the world to see this and then just like <laughs> once you've watched it and you want to discuss it with us guys, you know, message us on our yeah. Instagram page at taw Instagram or if you know us personally, hit us up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear your interpretations and opinions and yeah. overall thoughts. Um, yeah, I do want to get Luca on our part two Lynch <laughs> episode. I think that would be really nice. So that would be what, a Razorhead Dune and... Another Lost one. Highway? Blue, Blue oh, Velvet yes. or Lost Highway. I haven't seen Lost Highway. Neither have I. It's yeah. nowhere. Oh, or in- <laughs> Inland Empire. <laughs> that will be the, the, the task. I've been putting off watching Inland Empire. <laughs> It's a three-hour film. Um, anyway, film. let's anyway. end on a very lovely note. Um, yeah. The Straight Story. So this, the Straight uh, Story. The Google synopsis for this is Alvin Straight, a 73-year-old, learns that his estranged brother, Lyle, is critically ill. Unable to drive, Alvin embarks on a journey from Iowa to Mount Zion by riding a lawnmower. Will he succeed? Hits nail on the head there. Um, so I think before we start going into this, this is very much... It's still a David Lynch film, but it's not in that it's not written by him. He didn't write him, it, yeah. And it is. It was acquired and presented by Disney. Yes. Um, which is an odd pairing because, like, <laughs> especially with the two films that we talked about previously, you wouldn't think that he would direct this super lovely, wholesome film that isn't. You mm. know, the only real quirky elements that really hop out is it's a guy traveling on a lawnmower, but yeah. like. And even that though is not from not his own mind. It was David Lynch, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's... You could watch this not knowing it was him. This is very, and it's not even because they're one of the people, one of the companies on this. But this is very, very much like a a film for film. Like you, could, this I can capture this. I can see this playing during the day. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I, or you can I just think, pop yeah. in at any random moment and kind of follow what's going on. I think it's just funny you should say that because when I I first saw a bit of this film when I was very young and mm. it was on TV, I think, during yeah. the day. And I, I found it hilarious when I was younger because right. I thought, why why is this man on the lawnmower going across <laughs> the country? Um, and I... <laughs> we, we can say why now. It's not really necessarily a spoiler. So he, no. he's, he's very old and he can't 
walk or really see that well and his car's not working and he loves riding his lawnmower and he's just he's his character's very dedicated and stubborn so he's like i'm gonna go out to mount zion buy lawnmower i don't care how long it takes you know five weeks six weeks and then you know that starts off our little road trip journey film Mm. um i could say for my experience of this film this this film was really telling of how how you watch it can affect it because I first started watching it really early in the day on Bob. Now, no issues with Bob, but if you've got bad Wi-Fi and you're watching... So basically, Bob is box of broadcast. It screen rips the film off of the telly because it's educational. It's for media students. Um, but, you know, that makes the picture quality of the film really rubbish sometimes. And you get ads, so you sometimes have to skip around. And when I first watched, like, the first increment of this film I watched, I was just very, like, grumpy and angry at the film and bored, and I was like, I hate this. Why am I watching this? It's really... Rare. And then I watched it later on uh, in, the, in the evening, even though I was super tired and not looking forward to continuing it. I watched it, I rented it on Amazon for 99p, which you were on my ass about, and it was fair enough. <laughs> um, and it's way, you know, way better pitch quality and, it, you know, really put a pep in my step. And it was like, this is actually a really lovely, wholesome film. And, you know, exactly. yeah, it's not really, it's more of a for hire film. Like, yeah, he doesn't, that was one of my main criticisms of it is that he doesn't really put his stamp on it as a director. No. Like there aren't really any visually creative or interesting things about the film like a, a lot of the so- shot choices are kind of just shot reverse shot and yeah it's very basic and standard it, it does feel like a for hire film there's one shot in it which i really liked which is at the beginning when uh so sissy spacek is mm. in this film and there's a bit where she goes on a phone call and hears the bad news and as you as you hear her in the other room talking it slowly zooms in on alvin Strait and his facial expression is like he he knows what's going on. I thought that was a really good yeah. shot, but the rest of it, I just it's not gripping. No, in a but... directorial sense, you know, it's yeah. Um, oddly enough, I was just going through Wikipedia before we start recording, and apparently they shot it chronologically in the the order of Alvin's because it's a true story mm. of uh, Alvin Strait's uh, road trip, and David Lynch called this film his most experimental film. <laughs> Because of how it was shot, I guess. He's, he's such a troll, isn't he? <laughs> it, yeah, he is. But I don't know. Like uh, honestly, even though it doesn't really have much of him in it, I just, I, I just, it's so it's such a sweet film. It's nice. It's, no, I like it. Nice it's a very wholesome. nice film. I like the premise. I didn't know it was based on a true story until after finishing yeah. it, which I, yeah. it's, cause it sort of recontextualizes it a bit. Um, yeah, it, a lot of it's it, you know, it has once you it has its quirks, it. which keeps it interesting. Um, I think the setup is done very well, very quickly, very efficiently, and the story is, you know, very nicely told right. throughout. I think it's it's very nice. I really like the performances in it. I think uh, Richard Farnsworth gives a really mm. good performance. Uh, Sissy Spacex really good in this. I wish she was in more of it. She was so good. She was, yeah. She, but she's not in it a lot. She's no. in like a couple of scenes. Um, there is a really great scene with him and another older actor where they're just at a pub talking mm. about their life in the war it's a really like moving scene i remember so i saw this film with my mum and the she she wasn't a huge fan of that scene she had a critic her main criticism of the film 
was that sometimes it does sort of linger on these monologues a bit too long. Right. Yeah. That, you know, him talking about the war isn't directly related to the story. It does round out his character a bit more, but it's sort right. of, it feels like it's pushing emotion a bit too far. Okay. And I, I agree I, with my yeah. mom to an extent, but I can I, see... I just, I just really like their performances within that scene. It's yeah, no, they, they really well acted, but I, yeah. I think the problem with, you know, road trip films, and it's, it kind of pops up with this one, is it's a meme as well, but like, uh, it's very much a... It's the real friends we made were the friends on the way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> the real straight story was the one in our hearts type thing, where it's <laughs> like you bump into different cast of characters, they each provide a moment, and then, you know, go on to mm. point C, point D, keep going, da-da-da-da. So that could be repetitive, but, like, I don't know. It The film knows what it is, and yeah, I, I, I liked some of those interactions because they were just very, like normal and human interactions which i guess is kind of sur- like juxtaposing in the way because you expect it to be this surreal david lynch film and it's just the yeah. most human film ever yeah. um similar i got similar uh the film with similar vibes that i got from this was uh that sentence doesn't make sense as in like hmm. a film, film you thought had yeah. similar vibes was, uh, to... was old, old man and the gun yeah i can see that i i yeah, I that's it. Just reminded me of that throughout the film, and yeah. I really like that film as well. Just I really like that. Film as well. I have a soft spot for like nice little sweet films, you know. Mm. Where there's I think I prefer n- anything Old Man major. and the Gun, but right. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but an- another thing I really liked about this film, Straight Story, was that the film overall had a real slowness to mm. it. I think, which is. Really which doesn't help fitting. if you're tired, but... Huh? It doesn't <laughs> help, help if you're tired, no. But it works, I think, because, you know, his character is very old and fatigued mm. Mm. and very slow, and the sort of... The film's almost frustrating, isn't it? It's like, go quicker, go quicker, and that's kind of He's how like, the I character can't. is feeling, just, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I think in that sense, uh, I just, that's probably like a mixture of the writing and the direction. It's It's very... Mm. Good, I think it's it's written by his uh, frequent editor and producer Mary Sweeney. Oh, really? That's a fun fact. That. Um, hmm. Yeah, and someone else, I believe. I, uh, you know, hmm. what, I'll pull up. I'll pull up the old trivia now. Why not? Oh, uh, we did find some sad trivia before this. Yes. Um, that you know, Richard Farnsworth, who plays Alvin Strait here, was going through a lot of similar things whilst filming the film, and then sadly. He committed suicide yeah. later on, which was really sad. But apparently, he was just like a very tenacious person when filming this, and like all the the crew members like really admired him. And you know, it, 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 yeah, he was just perfectly cast in that sense because mm. you know the character is very you know has a pep in their step despite everything that's happening and all the damaging yeah. stuff that's happening. And it's yeah, it was just yeah, it was very much a life imitating art type thing. Um, same composer, uh, I actually have his name now, Angelo Bar... Oh, I'm going to destroy your pronunciation. <laughs> Angelo Badalamenti, um, obviously did Twin Peaks and everything else, but yeah, a real change in score for him, because this is kind of like... <laughs> I'll tell you what this score reminds me of, and this is going to sound niche. Did you ever play the Cars video game? No, I'm okay. sorry. 
there's <laughs> I think I know what you mean though. The generally. vibes of that video game is like whenever you're in Radiator Springs and come on, let's take a free ride plays on a loop. That's how this score and film felt like. <laughs> I, I like the music in this film. I thought yeah. it was really nice. It, yeah. I, I liked it a lot. It really it, it stuck with Western me. Western stuff, um, yeah. Yeah. It's just I, I like this film. It's a really nice, very simple Yeah well-mannered film i think there's some good uh in terms of writing there's some good moments of setup and payoff that are like very simple like for example um near the beginning of the film alvin Strait is asked about the best parts of being old and he really struggles mm. to come up with something and then Which he says sad. oh experience and wisdom is the best thing yeah. and then later on he tries to get he gets nearly gets swindled by some mechanics trying to fix his lawnmower and he's like, ah, I know your game. I'm not going to let you do that. And he has this uh, long rant about, you know, this is this. You can't swindle me for this amount of money because A, B and C and that, you know, mm. that goes back to him having wisdom. And it's a yeah, nice little yeah. Yeah. payoff scene. I liked it. I, I thought it was a character piece. Yeah, it's a good little character moment for him. I, I do. Re- I do wish Sissy Spacek was in more of it because she was just she was so good in it. She was very good. I think like but she, then again, she it, didn't need to yeah. pop up that much. But yeah, um, she was in it for as long as she needed to be. But yeah, I really did enjoy her performance. Uh, what other notes have I got here? Uh, I mean, there's not, not a lot to it, really. A no, I've kind of read all of them. Not necessarily in a bad way. Like, um, what, yeah. what was the reception this film? I think it was generally yeah. well-liked, yeah. Uh, Richard Farnsworth got an Oscar nomination for it. Fair enough. And he Fair became enough. the oldest man to get a Best Actor nomination ever, and still is, Really? I think, no, surely not. Surely it's the guy from Amour. He did, he wasn't nominated. The guy from no, Amour. yeah, he was the the woman from Amour was the oh. best actress, but the guy from Amour really wasn't. Yeah, look it oh. up honestly. I uh, know. Uh, I mean, I believe you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought thought he was nominated. Okay, fair enough. Nah, um, he, he probably should have been. But okay, well, speaking of our friend Roger Ebert earlier, Roger Ebert gave the film four out of four stars, the first positive oh, review wow. he had ever given for a film by Lynch. Um, he wrote, the movie isn't just about the old Alvin Strait's odyssey through the sleepy towns and rural districts of the Midwest, but about the people he finds to listen and care for him. That's about the friends nice, who made it? along the way. Which, honestly, that cliche is really annoying in certain films, like <laughs> Missing Link or The Terminal, but, like, it really works for this film. And it I works because why. it's not overbearing, I think, because right. the film is simple... And Can we, should we explain that cliche? Because we it's kind of an inside joke between us as well. But I, like, all right, go on. No, no, I'm saying like, how would you? Ex- well, the sort dis- of uh, well, there's sort of the the trope of like you said, uh, you said it earlier when there's a buddy road trip film, and they're out on a journey looking for something. Then you expect by the end of the film they will have got that thing by the end of the journey, mm. and then at the end of the film they're like, oh, the. We, you know, we were trying to find a treasure, but the real treasure was the journey itself. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, it's really sappy in a lot of films. Yeah. But I think in this... Missing link. <laughs> in this, because the film is quite subtle, I think mm. it's it's not overbearing, you know? Right, yeah. And honestly, like, I'm sure I won't remember a lot about this film later on, or, you know, in a week or so, but, like... I don't know, it just it just does the job. And and yeah. this isn't even necessarily a bad thing about this film, but you could definitely put this film on in the background and just let it play and come back to it and still be on the road. And still be on a lawnmower. 
like, like that's not it sounds yeah, like yeah, yeah. criticism but like it is one of those like even though like I said it was actually distributed or produced by film 4 but like it is the perfect like yeah. daytime film on a TV where you it's can very just like relaxing, catch yeah. it every you now and then just... yeah it's very relaxing it's very yeah it's just Another, it's a yeah. mood as the kids say <laughs> Another thing I thought was uh, odd about the film was how it dealt with time Right. Because oh, like when yeah, he, yeah. when he's on the lawnmower, you expect him to be on it for like I don't know, just like three or four days, and then someone yeah. asks him, "Oh, how long have you been here?" He's like five weeks. I was like, yeah, what? I I remember that Sorry. being jarring, but then I remember like that's filmed. I I wasn't. It's not a criticism. I'm just saying it. Like it was. It took me yeah. back a bit in a good way. I think because mm. it's like bloody hell. This this man's been it's, yeah. on the and road if, for a while now. I want to look into the actual um real life story now. Mm. That is same. Oh, here's something I was gonna ask you. It made me laugh. Um, if you had to travel anywhere on a like, not like what's <laughs> on a lawnmower, on on just a, a not apt vehicle, what vehicle would it be, and where would you travel? <laughs> I've never had one of those. Um, what are they called? Like the the segways, the electric oh, yeah. segways. I've never been on what, one of those. What with the handle or the yeah, one yeah. with your feet? Like the no, the one with the handle. Your... I'm not. Oh, a... Okay. I'm... No. <laughs> You're not <laughs> a hype beast. <laughs> no, I'm not a hype beast. Uh, I would. I always wanted to try one of those electric segways, just because I think people say it's quite hard to do because you need to have very good balance. Mm. And I would want to just give it a try. In terms of where I'd go, pff, not very far. It would run out of battery, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's uh... true. It was just. It was. Yeah, there was. I'd go to Bournemouth. <laughs> There's a weird, a lot of weird, like, uh, practical stuff where I'm just like, oh, this guy's just eating hot dogs. What, what would you sleeping do? Sleeping in the your... back of his... Honestly, I actually haven't prepared an answer. Joe. <laughs> um, I don't... It's really stupid. My mind went to pogo stick, and I'm like, that's not a vehicle. <laughs> no, that counts. That counts. Uh, I would like to go somewhere on a tuk-tuk. Um, that'd What's be nice. a tuk-tuk? It's like these very small cars with, like... Oh, how do I explain a tuk-tuk? The, the, you get them in India a lot. Yeah, the little the, taxi cabs yeah, in India. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Um, That's cool. Or like a rickshaw, I, actually, would be yeah. cool. That'd be answer number two for me. Any Anywhere, you know, uh, countryside-esque. Maybe like a horse-drawn or something. carriage. Yeah. Let us know where you, you guys would like to go, guys. <laughs> where would you on, go? On, what vehicle? Would, yeah, it the... has to be an unconventional vehicle. And we we mean vehicle in like a very loose mm-hmm. term, like maybe Not roller skates. <laughs> roller skates. Wow, that's, you, that's... your legs would be very tired. Yeah, they would be very tired. Um, I can't think of any other places. It's so you said this so film. Good. Sorry, going back to. You said this was the first film Roger Ebert reviewed positively by David mm. Lynch. Did you not like Elephant Man? I'm guessing not. Uh, That's do you want me to check? Yeah, no, if you, if you don't mind, I'm just curious because it seems like a film you would tech. like. And that a race fil- ahead. That film I is thought. very, like, next to next to Straight Story, we said this before, but next to mm. Straight Story, The Elephant Man is probably his other really accessible, easygoing film, even mm. though it's more. It's his quirky. easiest one to follow by yeah. traditional narrative. Storytelling so, standards. Oh, oh, Matt, okay. <laughs> a small number of critics were less favourable. Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars, writing, I kept asking myself what the film was trying to say about the human condition as reflected by John Merrick, and I kept drawing blanks. Uh, that's in reference to The Elephant Man. That's so, yeah, unexpected. He gave it two out I thought of four he would stars. like it. He's hated some stuff before, you know. He hated Fight Club. Anyway, that's a tangent. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, like, yeah, this film is the perfect daytime film, I'd say. It's just yeah. a very nice, sweet, like, you know, countryside-esque film. It's very much like a... <laughs> Like a mum and dad film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, Which is why I watched it with my mum. Yeah. I wouldn't watch Mulholland Drive with my mum. But you'd watch Dogtooth. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> which which ends of the surreal gamut will my you My mum has been surprising me recently with the film she likes that I showed yeah. her. Because she really liked Dogtooth and mm. she really liked Adaptation. Oh, and yeah. She doesn't normally go in for, like, artsy films. Do you know what you guys are watching next, or? Uh, I've I've got a bunch of things on my Amazon watch list that I was uh, saving to watch with my mum and dad. Uh, Big Fish is one of them. Nice. Let me know what you think of Big Fish. I, I, like I've, I have a feeling I'll like it. I've seen it's, bits. Of it's it like it's like if uh, Tim Burton did a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Um, uh, my mum and I saw Awakenings recently. Oh, but... I was gonna I was gonna talk to you about that. You, so Matt mentioned that I. Let's quickly round up straight story and then we can have yeah. some, we can slowly chip. Uh, straight up. story. What Just going you, to my notes. Yeah, give it like a poster review. Uh, <laughs> really nice, simple, heartwarming film. Good mix of comedy and drama. Uh, not the most visually interesting or ambitious film, but the performances carry it and it treads the line of sentimentality just right, I think. Mm. Go just watch imagining it. a poster with that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit longer than a poster <laughs> review. I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, yeah I, those I'd are my closing thoughts. Like, it's just a very nice, sweet film, um, similar to Old Man and the Gun. Um, if if you like Cars, the video game, if you like the vibes <laughs> of Cars, the video game, watch the straight story. Or just like country music in general. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you don't have to like Cars the video game. <laughs> no, it's it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily if you like that. It's the vibe of that. I know. So I if, know. When playing that game, yeah, well, yeah, I played it on a laptop. Funny enough, this is so you could play it normally as a PC game or anything like that or whatever console. But I remember getting it in a newspaper or mar- or a magazine, and as a kid, I was like, this is a pretty big game to be getting as like a freebie. Massive I can't. Tangent. I can't relate. But, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> I never played it. Honestly, with that game, you just drive around Radiator Springs. It's very sweet and serene, and that's nice. what the straight story reminds me of. When I'm it designing the logo of, for this on, episode, let's take a free ride. <laughs> when I'm designing the logo for this episode, shall I put Cars the video game on it as well? <laughs> just like as a, a bonus. Tiny, a very, very tiny Lightning McQueen. Kachow! <laughs> Kachow! Um, <laughs> I hope Mr. Lynch doesn't hear this. Um, I, no, no. I think he would like this episode. Well, maybe not the Wild at Heart segment. Maybe not, but... Um, yeah. We say out of love. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, but yeah, sorry. Let's let's quickly roll out. Um, <laughs> like cars. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Roll out do- like a lawnmower. Yeah. Um, doing the podcast makes you slowly delirious throughout... I mm. don't know what it could be. It could be I these, these heavy... I was going to say one thing about Mulholland Drive. Um, watch it with he- headphones. It really helps the experience. Oh, like big. I didn't cans, do that. Because you really get a lot of the sound. Anyway, like the sound design. Um, with Awakenings... Oh, wait, are we doing this on the on the episode? Mm-hmm. We're talking about Awakenings? I just want... No, no, I just want to quickly... Okay. I wanted to talk about. Okay. So you know how you said uh, Awakenings would be... 
better as a documentary. Yes. I liked how it was kind of filmed like one, and it was very f- fitting. Do you know what I mean? Well, like the the vis the visual of that film. Uh, well, it's kind of like straight story in a sense that it doesn't really lend itself a lot directorially. I think right. it, it comes across as kind of very flat and plain in terms mm. of its direction. I think. Right. But but you you liked it? Did you say? Yeah. No, I re- I really like Awakenings. Okay. But yeah. We'll get into that another time. I just wanted. We to can when, when we finish, we can talk about it off, <laughs> off the, you know, post episode if you want. Because I I would like to talk about it. So. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Well, um, that's been our David Lynch episode, people. So we went a bit mad, but you know that's what he makes us do, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> we hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, whether it be you know on a run or inside, on a rainy day, on a non-rainy day. Um, in the in the corner of your room, whilst cleaning your teeth, or making a sandwich, whatever you do to the That's a Rat podcast. Um, yeah. What, any any last thoughts, Matty P? I've I've never cleaned my teeth in the corner of my room. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's always it's always a pleasure to do the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry if I was not as articulate or seemed oh, no, a bit super dazed. Articulate today. Like, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen these films. I've seen a lot since uh, they weren't as fresh in my mind. Uh, I was basically reading from notes for the the whole thing. They were notes that I'd written, it's so fine. it's fine. It wasn't yeah. plagiarizing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's, it's interesting because there's yeah. always a lot to talk about with David Lynch. I think whether they're good or bad, and there's yet, always a lot to say. And yet, it never feels like you scrape the surface. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, like with Mulholland Drive, I just for the sake of avoiding spoilers, mm-hmm, there was yeah. a few mm-hmm. notes that I didn't touch upon, but right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, we hope you've enjoyed. Um, we will talk about David Lynch more in the future. Yes. Um, same with any other filmmakers that we do like a retrospective on because they've got so many, you know, it's like the same with Spike Lee um, and anyone else. Um, but yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Whatever random activities you do, I don't know why I said in the corner of your room, clean your teeth. But who knows? <laughs> clean your teeth however you want to, guys. As long as it's toothpaste. Um, <laughs> Feel bad. Now. We're going delirious, guys. Have a good day. And uh, the three magical words. That's a wrap. <laughs> Yeah.